What's happening, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to the Emergency Nine Golf Podcast. Jay is here. How are you, sir? I'm wonderful. Good answer. I think that's my response every time that you say that. I think we joke about it, but I think I say wonderful every time. Okay. That's awesome. McLean? Yeah, it's wonderful. Just absolutely fantastic. There we go. Awesome. No other way. To, no other way to put it. I am Mike. We welcome everyone back. We hope you enjoyed the Open Championship at Royal Liverpool. Uh, got a little G to talk about this evening, um, gents. But first, McLean was was pissed that I skipped this segment last week. What are you guys drinking? So, McLean, we'll start with you. Are I've you still excited? Little, uh, a little Russell's Reserve Ten Year. Look ah. at this guy. Now you're in, you're in the game, dude. You're in the game. I'm Look the at game. this guy. All the club. You know, you move to Tennessee. Tori makes fun of me. She's like, every time we move, you start drinking something different just to fit in. I'm like, I don't, I'm, I, I, I didn't plan that. It just kind of happened. It just felt natural. And you kind of move in. It. You know, you move down to Florida, you're on the beach and you drink Corona lights because they're light and easy. Uh, be clear. I, I, I have some in the fridge still. Like I didn't abandon ship there. Um, <laughs> But at the same time, no, you know, now in Tennessee, I got Kentucky part of my territory. Um, that's actually one of the part I'm I'm really fun or I'm really looking forward to is going up there and accidentally passing a distillery and just kind of like pulling in and sending yeah. you guys all these pictures. I'm, uh, I'm so proud. I, f- I feel like a little, a little boy's growing up. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. That's fantastic. Jay, what are you drinking? Um, I've got some 1792. It's kind of my go-to. I think, you know, McLean, we were talking about it and you said for the money, you, you thought it was as good as it gets. And I, I, I agree. Really like it. I finished off a bottle of that last night, uh, <laughs> which, which I will say it was like the first time I had two different bottles. It was like, all right, that's how a collection starts. Starts with two. Once you get more than one, you have two, then you, then you kind of build on it from there. And yep. then, um, now, now I have none. <laughs> because you like to drink and not collect. Jay, you drinking out of a wine glass? I am tonight. <laughs> okay. Um, we cook steak tonight. Uh, family's in town, so we cook some steak on the grill, and I had uh, one glass of wine with dinner, and then I didn't want to waste another <laughs> – I didn't want to dirty another glass, so here I am. Uh, not much different than drinking out of a, a snifter, but, you know, okay, letting it marinate. I'm drinking 1792 as well. Wow. I'm, I'm drinking single barrel 1792. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. sorry. Oh, Excuse me. Mr. One fans. Hey, you know what? I'll, I got to give a shout out. Compliments <laughs> to Mr. Matt Liebler, PGA head professional director of golf Great at job. Princess Anne. This was a Great gift job. from him. So. Oh, hell, man. Hell Matt, I, mean, I think this was a gift they used for their member guest. One of our guys, Andrew Lamar, who's a listener was down oh, there nice. and I, I felt bad. I told Andrew's like, Hey, I'm headed down to see your buddy, Matt for San. I said, all right, well tell him to go fuck himself. And then he gives you a bottle of 1792. And then, a, then a few days later, Andrew texts me a picture of the bottle. And he goes, Hey, I got a gift from Matt. I'm like, damn it. Can you tell him I take back the go fuck yourself? <laughs> <laughs> That's why you got the bottle because he appreciates that. <laughs> Dude, that guy, so that does guy Andrew. He he hooked me up with a uh, a club glove suitcase with my initials on it that I still use to this day. I've probably got six to seven years in on it now. Um, Those things last. Matt, they really do. They're they're incredible. But uh, no, Matt Matt's a solid guy. Um, runs a great 
really tight ship down there and uh, runs a great club. He does. Yeah. If so, you so, haven't so. had a chance, I know it's a private club, but if you have not had a chance to go play Princess Anne, it's the to toughest 6,200 yards you'll ever play in your life. It is. It is extremely tough. Very tight, but the, it's in great condition. The greens are great. Uh, you hit. You, you can hit for 6,200 yards. You can hit every club in your bag. And I'll, mm-hmm. uh, you know, from par threes to short par fours to long par fours to par fives that you can get to. Yeah, I good, always think, I always think of, of that as it's a good test of golf when you can play a round of golf, regardless of the length, and you can you almost use every club in your bag. You feel like you're like, man, I'm I'm playing golf right now. I mean, I'm using my 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 set of clubs. I'm using every every tool that I have in the bag. I think that's pretty cool. And that place that place certainly does it. And I it, I love that. I love that golf course. Yeah, it's, it's a fun, fun play. Fun spot. An un, unreal clubhouse too. Yeah. That that doesn't that doesn't hurt either. No, really, really nice facility. Yeah, great spot. So, Matt, tip of the cap to you, sir. Cheers. I'm not even sure if you listen to this or not, but um, anyways, cheers, Matt. We appreciate. It. I appreciate it. So, let's um, let's get into some analysis here. Our expert analysis as members of the media on uh, the season's last major, the Open Championship, Mr. Brian Harmon. Runs away with it. Um, I can't gut, believe gut reaction. I, 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 I'm my entire week. I was or the entire weekend. I'm just like, I can't believe I dropped him for Yako Neiman. I like, dropped actually. He was on my team, but I, yeah, I know you. You had Brian Harmon. You also had um, uh, what's his name that did pretty well. I don't remember. I'm not looking at your team, but okay. re- regardless, uh, yeah. No, it was uh, it was a, a good event. Great, great to see Brian Harmon win. I really like him, um, Savannah boy, um, a guy that I think has proven that distance is not the issue in the game. Uh, I I could go down this rabbit hole for the next seven hours, and when the dust settled, you know he hoisted the trophy. So he played some great golf. I, I, I'll be honest. I mean, I put some, some bets on some other players on Sunday early, just thinking that Rory went out playing well early. Um, I thought he was going to make a run. I saw some opportunity for Brian to falter. He did not. Uh, I, I, I think it was a unique event. I don't feel like we saw a lot of the drama because Brian played so well early in the week and really held that lead out there. Um, I, I like the issues with the bunkers. But at the same time, that was really the only drama that I felt for the week was watching someone get in a bad spot. And you, you almost kind of felt like you were hoping to watch someone put it in one of the corners of the bunkers and just see what would happen. That, to me, was the most dramatic part of the golf tournament. Um, again, I, I think it was a good event. Uh, it's the British Open. I love being a part of it and watching it. Uh, but at the same time, it did leave a lot to be desired from the viewership standpoint. Yeah, like when you and I were talking, McLean, before Jay hopped on, I thought I thought Harmon's chance to lose it was Saturday. I thought if he was going to come back to the field and open this up to be an interesting Sunday, I thought it had to be Saturday. Once he had that lead going into Sunday and how solid he looked on Saturday, I was like, I'm not sure he's going to gag this at all. Nor was I sure of any of the chasers catching yeah. him either. Yeah, and the and. I wish I would have heard. I sent you guys that comment. I'm, I'm sure all of the listeners have, they have seen this as well. When um, 
Harmon said that uh, I think it was on Saturday he was you know heading to one of the tees to late round and you know somebody yelled out one of the spectators spectators yelled out and said you know Harmon you don't have the you don't have the the stones the stones to win this and and he basically he didn't say anything obviously he's so stoic but he said that was all he needed to hear it just it snapped him back into reality in a sense that like hey i do i can do this you know don't tell me what i can't do you know I, I'm, I'm a professional golfer i'm playing in the british open i'm winning the british open right now i'm leading the british open you know screw you i can do this and, and that was the motivation that he needed that just to keep him focused and give him that extra not that he didn't have it already you know, because he was he obviously playing, he's a professional golfer, and there's plenty of motivation. But in the moment, that was that that was that voice that you know that was over his shoulder. Like he's hearing it from one side, and the other side is you know he's got somebody saying, "You know what? Do it. You can do this." And that was pretty cool. I wish I had, I wish I'd known that because, I, like you said, McLean, if we had known that somebody had said that to him on Saturday, we wouldn't anybody else to come chase him down. Um, because when you, as a leader of a golf tournament and you, and you have like that extra motivation to like prove somebody wrong, then it's like, okay, you got the pedal to the metal. Good luck everybody else. You know, you better shoot seven, eight, nine, ten under if you're going to beat me, because I'm going to play good, solid golf coming in. And he did exactly that. He played it perfectly. Um, I mean, who would have thought that this guy would have, would have played that well. I mean, there was no indication prior to this that that he would have won won the British Open by the margin that he did. Yeah, you I just mean, don't see you don't see guys of his stature. Now, granted, he came in as like the twenty sixth player in the world, so it wasn't like a Ben Curtis situation. No, no, yeah, no. But you 100%. you really only ever see you know, especially in majors, guys that run away with it are usually like top five players in the world. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The the Rams, the Schefflers, the Rorys of the world that win by a wide margin. Yeah. I don't know if you guys saw this, and I, and I wish I had the the source, but there was a stat that came out that said, if you are the 36-hole leader in the British Open, you have an, like an 80-85% chance of winning, which is like a, lot a huge, huge jump over any other major and, and any other PJ Tour event. Like 83 to 85% chance of winning if you have a 36-hole lead. That's quite a close ratio. That's crazy. That's that's a crazy, especially for such a, a volatile tournament or, or the perception of being such a volatile tournament, you know, with the wind and the weather and like, you know, it, it, there's it, typical in the British Open, there's a lot of doubles and birdies and bogeys. And that's that's crazy to me. I didn't it I is. didn't realize that. And, and again, I don't have the exact source, but I, I heard it a couple of different times. It was roughly a 15% chance, 15 to 70% chance of blowing it. So I took that and looked at more on the positive. You have an 83 to 85% chance of winning okay. after holding the 36 hole lead, which I, I thought that was crazy. Well, going back to your, your comment about his comment about that heckler on Saturday, I think you said it was after his second bogey, right? So he starts the day at 10 under he bogeys like one and three, one and four. He's down to eight under and you're like, Oh, here it comes. And then par five, fifth, immediately birdies it. And the cool set I heard, I think he made six bogeys the whole event. And four times did he make a birdie immediately after a bogey. That's awesome. Like, so that that kind of bounce back stat, like, okay, I made a bogey. That's fine. I'm just going to go get it right back right here. You know, 
And so that resiliency, yeah. that 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 dog in him, no, no pun intended, being a Georgia Bulldog, but he just played I'll, you know, I'll use a term that the, the Brits use. He just he played proper golf to win a major with a big lead. He just played smart. He knew his game. He didn't shy from his um his game plan and he yeah. played his game. He he's not a long hitter. He's like 144th in driving distance. Obviously, he's a small statured guy. Um, but he just he hits it straight and hits his irons pretty solid, and then he chips and puts his ass off. I did see a stat. Uh, this year, so of his strokes gain, I think he was like plus eleven. Uh, he was plus eighteen in the tournament. He was plus eleven putting. Plus eleven point five seven. This is actually a stat I have up in front of me right now that I wanted to get to. So, kind of going back to the distance debate, just a little bit here. When you look at what it took for a guy to go out there and win, we just had a short hitter. I, I don't want to say dominate, but somewhat much, dominate yeah. the golf tournament yeah uh, strokes game putting plus 11 5 7 that's incredible it also goes to show it also goes to show that, inside of 10 feet yeah it also goes to show that at the end of the day it gets done all the greens that's where it happens when you look at the guys that get it done and that dominate events it always comes down to they had a great putting week which brian had he also, uh, Comment on that too before we move forward. You're, you're, you're right. I, I think it was a it was a I don't want to say a perfect storm, but like Brian Harmon is, is a great putter, uh, a very good putter. And I think he's in the now move into the top 30 uh, strokes game for the year after this event. But um, he also is a player that likes to kind of hook his putts and the ball comes off hot and fast. Um, but when you're playing on greens that are rolling at like a nine, eight and a half, nine, nine and a half, you know, you can get away with that. And so it's, I, I do think it's a product of his environment. And he just maximized the, the opportunity, which is great. But you guys know as well as I do, after this, after, you know, after this week is done, people are going to go back and look at Brian Harmon's putting stroke because of the strokes gain. And they're going to be like, oh, wow. I need to use a big, heavy head. I need to use, I need to put with a cross-handed grip, and I need to try to hook every putt because that's the way that you're going to gain 11 strokes on the field. And while I think that that's great, and I think it worked for him, I don't think that every player on tour needs to do that. I mean, if you go back and look at who, you know, who are the top guys on the tour year in and year out, or week in and week out, I should say, they don't necessarily putt like that. Um I think I do think it was a you know product of a you know the right time right place and and I, it, it worked out. But I don't I don't I don't think that everybody needs to putt like that. Although I think that we're probably going to see that in Golf Digest or Golf Magazine. I'm going well, like Brian Harmon, you know, to win the British Open, you need to you know hook your putts and cross hand the grip with a super heavy head, which we all know that's you know you know do that on greens that are rolling thirteen and a half. And see see what type of control you have. Slopey. Yeah, and super slopey. Well, something else to be noted, you know, he putts with a little bit longer cross uh counterbalance putter. Yeah, exactly. That too. That too. That's Which we've very seen hot right now. Uh yeah. I think we're going to see a lot more of that moving forward. I've putted with putters like that previously. I like it. I love the feel of it. I think it does offer obviously it's starting to validify. That type of product. There we go. I had to get that in there. Keyword. 
Uh, yes, fake words. I love it. I love fake words. Why guys are seeing success with it, and it's kind of funny that we're seeing guys really kind of pile it on with that sort of uh, um, with that sort of setup. So it's it's something that I think we're going to see more from. It's something I, I can guarantee we're going to start seeing on shelves at any golf retailer, pro shop, whatever you want to call it. But I think it. Go ahead, Mike. No, what have we had like four of the last like six winners on tour? So yeah. Wyndham Wyndham won with a counterbalance. Keegan then won with a counterbalance. Ricky wins with a counterbalance. And now uh yeah. Brian Harmon wins with a counterbalance. That's since the US Open. Yeah, and it, it's funny. So I, I putt with a counterbalance putter. I have a 25 gram uh weight in my grip, but it's not longer. It's 34 inches. So this might be something to where I maybe I even experiment with it. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm putting. I'm pretty happy with my putter right now, but when you see something like this really start to take shape, um, something I think really helps to steady the hands a little bit, it's something to take note of. I mean, we can look at very few items from the equipment category with what the tour does versus what the everyday player does. You can take more from a putter than you can with any other golf club in the bag because we're all swinging the putter at the same speed. We are not swing a driver at 125 like the tour pros do so going out and getting the same shaft and loft setup that tour pros have isn't necessarily going to benefit you a putter everyone out there is swinging a putter at the same speed we're all trying to accomplish the exact same thing with the exact same um best way to say it uh situations in front of us you know be it a short putt long putt whatever it is that's something that people really need to take note of these guys are seeing success with this little bit longer counterbalance putter. And that's where I think it translate more translates more to the everyday golfer, more so than any other club in the bag. So I think we should, I agree. We, should we should really take note of that. And we should ultimately start to look at that for many more golfers out there. I I fully expect more equipment manufacturers to start producing a similar product or a competitive product in that landscape. And uh, I, I know of one that's going to be coming out soon that I think is going to make some waves. So I'm looking back at the schedule here and the and the winners from this year. Victor Hovland, he he plays with the counterbalance, right? Does. Yes, he does. Um, Wyndham Clark won again. Uh, Tony Finau, does he use counterbalance? He kind of chokes down on it, like... Back uh, he doesn't putt well. We're not taking it. Yeah, not away. that we want to copy anything that Tony Finau does on the greens, but no. just looking back at, at some of these guys, there's there's definitely a good handful. But obviously, yeah, we had three in a row at U.S. Open, Travelers, and Rocket Mortgage counterbalance winners, and then Brian Harmon as well. So interesting trend that we'll we'll keep an eye on on here. I I had a counterbalance. Guys, like ten years ago, when like they first kind of came around, it was a big ass head, kind of similar to what Harmon was using. I just lost some feel with it. Maybe it was all just too big, too heavy uh, for me. Well, but. there there are there are different versions of counterbalance putters. You know, the original ones that were being made had very heavy heads, and they were extremely heavy. I think what we're seeing now from the majority of players out there is more of a standard standard head. That's been lengthened, but also has a counterbalance weight in it. Like I said, I play with a standard weighted putter that has um, 25 grams in my grip. It's 34 inches, so it doesn't speak to the length. And maybe I'm I'm most likely going to 
grab one that's probably 37, 38 inches and, and start playing with that a little bit. But I have heard that the max benefit is having that counterbalance weight above your hands, not in your hands. Mm-hmm. I can't speak to why I like mine in my hands. It's just something I've putted well with previously, and I replicated that with my new putter. There's a reason why these guys are having success with it. And I think at the end of the day, it doesn't come in the format of having an incredibly heavy head. I think it comes in the format of having more of a, a regular weighted head, but also having that weight slightly above the hands. Um, I, I know that I feel like my hands get a little quieter having more weight in my hands, which is just speaks to physics alone. I mean, that's nothing that anyone would would not be able to come up with just using the common sense theory of the equation. Uh, but Again, I just go back to, and I'll leave it there. This is probably the only club in the bag that makes a difference or, or, or is assimilates to what the average golfer is doing. Swinging it at the same speed, putting the same situations, a 20-foot putt's a 20-foot putt. Uh, I don't care what your ability level is. There's something to take away from there for more golfers um, in the everyday game of the sport. No, I, yeah, I agree, hundred percent. How many, how many, how many players have won in the in the last couple of weeks using the counterbalance? I mean, I know we've got Wyndham that won the the Open, Ricky Keegan. They all use basically exact same putter. Victor, and then Victor, and then Harmon, and, and then Harmon. All and so, I mean, that's almost the last. Is that the last five events? Didn't I already say all that? Uh, maybe you did. I, I, didn't, I didn't hear you I say the last five go. straight events. I was going to let that go. Um, I mean, I, I, I know we were talking about it. I didn't know you said in a row, like the last yeah. five straight. I mean, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's it's kind of crazy. I mean, but it's kind of popped out of nowhere. Like nobody was using counterbalance like three months ago. Nobody even heard of I mean, there was, it was a lost. I shouldn't say a lost cause, but like I used the, the counterbalance the like away. eight years ago. You know, I was, and then it was like nobody used it, and all of a sudden, here we are. You know, eight years back. removed, and the 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 technologies hasn't changed. And the putter heads, I mean, the putter the putter head that Keegan and Ricky and Wyndham are using that that head's been around for like five or six years. Yeah, honestly, stop making longer it. than that. So it's like, what you know, what happened? What did we miss? Like, why why is this working so well all of a sudden? And when it's been been available to us for so long. That's what's yeah. kind of weird. It's interesting. Get out. Well, and I will say the the putter that Ricky and um, Wyndham are using does have a large strap of lead tape on the bottom. So they did increase that weight slightly, but I don't think it's quite as heavy as some of the putters that we used initially when this came out or the trend started. Jay, you just mentioned about eight years ago, something like that. It was, it, yeah, it was Lee, a while ago. Said I used, I used the counterbalance. It was probably almost 10 years ago, eight to 10 years ago. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know. The, the one thing that I did like about the feel of it, it was that it, it almost, like you said, having the weight behind your hands or above your hands, um, it just made you release the putter better. And I feel like most, most players tend to hang on and because they're scared to hit the putts too hard, they tend to hang on and look up. So all the movement tends to move from the putter head uh, and and they they take that away from moving, letting the putter head release and letting your hands go to dragging the putter and moving your shoulders and looking up at the your putts and, and your chest moves up and out. You miss hit it and you leave everything, you know, I, I'd say for a right-handed golfer out to the right. 
Um, and, and I know when I had that, that counterbalance putter, it was so easy for me to let the putter head release because that, like you said, that the weight, the weighting is, is counterbalanced above your hands to where it almost forced you to release the putter a little bit better. At least that's the feel that I got from it. So, uh, and I know Ricky, I don't know about Wyndham, but I know historically Ricky is, is a player that he thrives on letting that putter release. I mean, he hits his short putts hard. He really is letting that, that putter go. Um, so maybe that's for him, that's what he needed to, to see. And it was easier for him. I don't, I don't know. Again, Keegan is a, a similar player and he used a, um, a belly putter where if you, if you've used if for the listeners, if you guys have used a belly putter, uh, and then gone back and used a, you know, regular length putter, meaning 34, 35, even 36 to go from a or belly 33 putter, or 33, if you're <laughs> not tall, you know, or even so, I mean, 33 to 35, yeah. 36, if you go from a belly putter back to a short putter, it's like, wow, holy cow, I really was, I, I was releasing that putter really hard with the belly putter. Um, so that's probably what I think that's probably why Keegan likes that feeling. And he probably, I don't know what is the length of his putter was. Is it 37 or is it 38? And he's kind of bent over a little more. I feel bent like over a lot. Yeah. I feel like Keegan is like kind of like Adam Scott, like he's, He's not anchoring it, but he's getting as close as he can. And as long as it's not touching and no one can tell that he's not touching, he's just going to use it. Um, are there a couple putts that he's grazing his, you know, his midsection with the, with this, you know, counterbalance part? Probably, but not anymore. You know, he lost all that weight, you know. That's true. That's true. <laughs> who's going to call him out on it though? Yeah, no one. So, something that I something I will say is that one of the common practices we see in golf festival with putter is the forward press and mm-hmm. i think the forward press is too pronounced with most amateur golfers i also think that they don't take into consideration what that does to their face angle when they do so you opens know, that face up a ton we can open it it can close it you can go to negative loft and which means you're going to really bounce that ball at impact um that's something that i would say I think it's a massive detriment to a lot of players out there because they get that forward press in there. And now all of a sudden you've taken that face angle. You could shut it, open it, de-loft, and then they try to really hold on and they don't release it. Coming from someone that I putted with the belly putter when I played um, for my short stint that I played professionally, um, when they outlawed it, I immediately switched. And I noticed right off the bat that I was releasing the putter much better. I would say the belly putter could still be used as a training tool to help people feel what it's like to actually release that putter. Cause you're forced to release it when it's anchored like that. You are absolutely yeah. forced to release it. That's what will happen. That's why I had a lot of success with it. I loved it. I still have my belly putter in the garage right now. Um, and it's something that I pick up every now and again and just get that, that feeling of the pendulum style stroke. But I noticed that it always forces me to release that golf club. When I putt my best now, I've actually gotten away. I used to have a very pronounced forward press. I've gotten away from the forward press entirely. I almost start with my hands literally almost behind the golf ball or straight up the shaft, and that allows me to maximize my release, which helps me get the putter online. I think forward press yeah, is something, I think, that, go ahead, press go ahead. something that creates a sense of comfort, but I I don't feel like it necessarily benefits the majority of players out there because it's so difficult to forward press perfectly and maintain the correct loft and 
face angle that you need to get putts online, start them online, and keep them there. I disagree yeah. a little bit, but I, I think that all depends on it depends <laughs> on loss and how you apply the loss through the stroke, you know, and, and that's you know, again, that's you know, if you've got if you got a putter that's got one degree of loft, and yes, you can get away with having your hands further back if you're swinging up, you know, one degree, and you've got one degree of loft, and you've got the the shaft leaning only one degree. Now you're kind of maximizing that that sweet spot of one to two degrees of dynamic loft through impact. That's that kind of what what you're looking for. But you know, it, it all depends on the loft of the putter um, and and the type of player. But I, I agree, it all depends on on who it is and the player. Um, but I was going to say without I wasn't trying to dodge your comments because I, I agree. I think there's there's a for some players, it's better if you just if you don't because it allows them to keep the face square too. if you don't when you don't, you know, forward press it. And you just have your hands very square, very neutral. It allows for a little bit more consistency. And if you just fit the putter to the setup, I think you could kind of get a little bit more. Uh, consistency with some of these middle to higher handicap players. I think the better players tend to have a little bit more lean and they know how to let still let the putter release. But I will say, with that being said, give me one player. If you could name one player right now who would benefit from having a counterbalanced putter and teaching them how to let the putter release. Scotty Scheffler. There's one. There's two. There's two players that I was Rory McIlroy. Yes, both of those two players. Tony Finau. Yeah, he's not in the he's not he's not in the same equation of these guys. These are these are you're right. The we're top. talking about the top players. You're right. We're talking about the top players. That's why I didn't talk about Justin Thomas either. So we're talking about the top players. <laughs> Rory McElroy and Scotty Scheffler. If they could let the putter release better, uh name, I mean uh, Scotty Scheffler, yes, but it, the putting stroke doesn't look bad, but it just never goes in. You know, I mean, honestly, if you watch him putt, it's not like he's yipping putts like like uh, Zalatoris. I mean, it doesn't look bad. It just doesn't go in, and it does look like he releases it okay. Uh, but Rory really looks like he. I mean, Rory's pretty pronounced. Like I feel like if Rory, you need to go putt with uh, Wyndham and and Ricky and just grab their putter and just. Let let that thing just do its do its work. Let that putter release. You never see Rory with the putter head passing his hands after impact. It's always he's always it always looks up. like he's holding on or shoving it, and he misses putts low or for a right hand golfer he misses them right all the time. And I'm like, come on, Brad Faxon, you're the you're the guru. Are, I, mean, I mean, are you telling him this? Or had a great release or just not listening. What's that? And Brad Faxon had a great release of the putter face. Oh, one of the, the best, the best, the yeah. best. Yeah. You know, and well, I'm sure, it. I'm sure he's telling Rory this, and Rory just has his, you know, he's done this for so long. He's probably it's hard for him to change. Well, but. I'm sure it's worse too under the gun. I'm sure, you know, yeah, at home at Medalist Grove 23, wherever it's it's fine. He can release yeah, the shit out of it, and then. Uh, to to McLean's point, like you pick up this belly putter with a counterbalance. Or I'm sorry, not, not not necessarily a belly putter, but a counterbalance putter that it, it almost forces you to let it release. So it's almost it's like, hey, you're having trouble just like trusting it in under the gun. Take it. It's not working. It's not working. You would have won. You would have ten majors right now, Rory, if you putted better than you're putting. Honestly, I would think eight to ten. 
at 34 years old, you'd have eight to 10 majors if you so just was, putted pretty good. Did you see the stat? Someone, uh, I think it might have been Justin Ray, who's a big stats guy on on Twitter. He uh, after Saturday's round, he was like the last two weekend rounds. So again, he, he's he's kind of picking rounds here, but the Saturday round this year and the Sunday round last year. Rory hit 33 of 36 greens and made five birdies. And a lot of them were like reasonable putts, especially this past Saturday. Rory's strokes gain at the British Open putting was 0.98. He was actually positive? Just over just over neutral, less than one stroke gain. Um, it's better than I thought those stats would be, in all honesty. That probably all came not, on Sunday. Not terrible. Terrible. I would the other the other portion that would be the wedge play. Obviously, we're picking apart one of the best players in the game. But but again, I mean, I think we all want to see. We would like to see the the hype match up. You know, it, w- this is one of the most talented players that we've seen in our generation in the last twenty years. And you want to, I think, I think people you love him or hate him, you you kind of want to see him. You kind of want to see him do well. You know, you'd be like, ah, I don't like Rory. He's kind of a punk. He's a whiny, whiny guy, blah, 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 blah. But you're like, okay, did he win? Oh, yeah, he's good. All right, that's cool. I I, I don't mind seeing him win because he's he's one of the most talented guys out there. So you, if you don't like him, you respect that he's that talented or you really love him and you want him to play well. Um, but, yeah, I, in the end of the day, I, I do think if he, if he just made – yeah, it's just a few more of those clutch butts, and it's hard to put a number on that. But I, I do think you, you – I think you hit the nail on the head, McLean. It's like that putter, that type of putter, for, for guys who have a hard time letting it release, it, it just forces you to do it. It makes you do it. You don't even know that you're doing it, but it makes it makes you let the putter release. So I'm just going to say this right now. If in two or three weeks Rory pulls out a counterbalance putter, I'm just letting everyone know that he was listening to the pod – We've got we've got Absolutely. an inside source that yeah. he could be listening to the pod. There is an inside source that he does listen to it here and there. So if he does listen to it, um, and he switches to the counterbalance, then you know where it came from. It I'll came start from tracking my- all all Jupiter downloads of this podcast. It, it came from us. It came from us. I'm just saying. Scotty needs to do something for sure. Scotty definitely does. Scotty Scotty's is worse than Rory. Than Rory. Yeah. yeah. You know who's really bad putter? Cam Young. Do you see his stats? That's not very good either. He was he was first off the tee, first in approach, and an off the tee in approach, he gained um, seventeen strokes. He was a hundred and forty third in putting. That's towards the bottom. Yeah, <laughs> is- it's just above Scotty. Scotty was negative four point six two putting, Jeez. ranked one forty ninth. What was his strokes gain like T to green? Hold, please. Uh, <laughs> off the T plus 407. Approach plus 716. Uh, total plus 572. Putting negative 462. Around the green, negative 0.9. God, that is so bad. I, I, I'm going to, I will say, like, I think he's been on an incredible stretch. Um, I I don't I. What's more I susta- what's more sustainable? I don't the see ball striking him. or 
improving his putting. I, I think his putting is going to improve. I think it's going to putting is going to improve quicker than well. No, I think his. I shouldn't say this. I think his ball striking is going to decline at a steeper rate than the putting. Um, then the putting will improve. Then the putting will improve. I think he can get it marginally better with his putting, but I, I don't. If you watch, if you watch the swing and you watch the footwork, it, there's so many moving parts. There's so many variables here, and I, and I will say he's been on an incredible run, and it's hard to kind of knock this guy. But I, I see in the next two years, I see a, a, I see a steep decline. For, from this guy, I know he's a he's a ball buster and he's tough as nails, and he's a he's a great player. And I'm not saying he's going to fall out of the top top 25 in the world. I think he's probably going to kind of stay in there. But I see him having a bunch of 40th finishes, 50th finishes, you know, 25 finishes. I don't see this streak. Of, obviously, this week it ended, but I don't see the streak of top tens and top twelves going much further. It, 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 there's I, there's just too many things going on here. Um, it, it's just like the law of averages are, are going to catch up eventually. And I'm not trying to. I'm not. I don't want that to happen. I'm just. I'm just thinking that. I, I just. That's my prediction. I just see him balancing out here and and rolling back to normal, especially. If he doesn't inc- improve his putting, if he keeps putting the way he is, the ball striking is not going to stay at that level. He's put it's too much not, pressure on his ball striking. It's not going to stay there, especially with the way that he swings the club. It's so violent, and his feet are moving all over the place. I mean, how can you be consistent when your right foot slide and your left foot is your left foot is turning, and you're on the side of your left heel, and your right foot is sliding all the way across? behind your left heel and you're hanging on to each shot with this incredibly goofy finish, regardless of what it looks like, I'm just looking at the mechanics of, of how many, how many muscles is he recruiting to make the swing? And it doesn't seem very natural. Um, I don't know. Again, that's just my opinion, but I, yeah. I do think that you're going to see a, a little bit of a, t- a decline for, from, from Scotty. Um, so I, mean, I, totally, I got to say this though, real quick Yeah, on that subject. Jay, I love you, but I got to disagree. And I'll tell you my only reason why. Yeah. What he does is fully natural. He plays every day. And I think he's going to gym fury the hell out of it. I I just ultimately think that's how he plays his game. It's how he always has. And as long as he's playing consistently, that's not going to leave him. There's no chance of him not playing regularly over the next 20 years. Uh, I think if he tries to start quieting his footwork i think that would be the bigger detriment to him because oh, yeah it would change his dynamics of what he's done uh historically and ultimately it would him falling victim to the media falling victim to the backlash and trying to figure out a way to you know become more stable with his lower body but i think that's what makes him great i think that's what allows him to shape the ball as much as he does um i personally yeah i i love the thing I love about Scotty is how natural his movement is. You know, he doesn't listen to all the, all the noise that's sitting on both sides of his shoulders to say, should I keep doing this? Should I not do this? He just goes out and does. And I think that's one of the things that will end up, you know, being kind of long. I, I I don't see him changing that. I think if he does, it's going to be an issue. Uh, I don't think he should change it. I, I don't think he should change it at all. I think his best bet is to continue to do what he, what he, what he does. 
I just don't think it's going to, it's going to be substantial and it's going to last at this, at this pace, at this level. Um, so, you know, I, I, I'm not trying to say, yeah, he's, he needs to change the way that he swings. I don't think that he needs to do that. I think he needs to keep, keep, he needs to keep doing what he's doing. I'm just, I'm just saying that it's not going to last at this level, at this high a pedigree, it's not going to stay there. And I think we're going to see a drop off, especially with, you know, one, the moving parts in his golf swing. And again, that's, that's what allows him to be free and swing as free as he can, which is, it's, it's a bonus for him. But at the same time, the ball doesn't give a shit um, how free you are. It just cares. Are you swinging the club through the ball square and on a good path? And if you've got your feet moving, both feet moving, um, all over the place, and you've got this club really high and long across the line, uh, continually and swinging at 125 miles an hour, eventually things are going to, the ball is going to say, hey, you're not catching up. You're not doing things the right way. And you're going to hit balls all over the place. And I think, I think we're going to see that from him. I'm not saying that he's going to be a guy like a Matt Wolf, which I predicted again. I said he would struggle, and he is. I think that swing is crazy and it's it's nuts. And it, it can, if he's hot, great. You can play somewhat great. And I'm not comparing Scheffler to, to Matt Wolf. He's a much better player, but he does have some homegrown, you know, you know, this eccentric moves that I think are going to catch up with him a little bit. And I think you're going to see a little dip from him, uh, especially with him not being a very good putter, short putter. Um, I think you're going to see him. He may have a year where he, he doesn't win and he doesn't really get in contention. Uh, I don't know how soon that will be. Um, I like him. I like the guy. I think he's great, but I definitely see him going the other way. But, but to your comment, I, yeah, I, I agree. I don't think he should change it by any means. Cause I think that's what, that's what allows him to make the best swing that he can make. Um, so he shouldn't change it, but I do think that that move he's, he's all in now at this point. Like you can't, you can't go no. switching it and changing it at this point. You got to just ride it out. And he just, I think deep down he knows, in my opinion, I think he knows that he's got a unique move and there's going to be a time six months, 12 months, maybe longer, hopefully not that he's going to hit, he's going to hit a wall and and not be able to find that face quite as easily um, as some others. Well, I think it more so to me, if I'm just looking at it, I think, think it becomes more of a part when he gets older and his lower body doesn't have the flexibility and the movement that it does now that mm-hmm. potentially that could that could you know change the way he plays i think it's almost expected at some point he's going to have some sort of lull because this is the game of golf and ultimately yeah, yeah. we've seen one guy stay you know uh, as dominant as he did for a long time his name's eldrick tiger woods um, yeah but you know it's it, it's it's tough. I think you could easily jump on both sides of this argument and pre- present some legitimacy to the argument. But at the same time, it's it's one of those things to where you know he's got to ride this train as long as he can. No, of course. I mean, he can't. If, yeah, if he, he starts can't. putting well. If he starts putting well, he could go on a streak that we've never seen before. If yeah, if oh, he can yeah. if he can hold up if he can hold up the ball striking, which you know we 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 haven't seen anybody hit the ball like this, you know, in the last you know twenty events, you know, with that that level of consistency, which again is is kind of bizarre given the the circumstances and given all the movement and the you know 
the the science behind the way that he swings. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of, lot of things, a lot of factors moving into, into what the, what he does. So, um, but yeah, if he can find a way to putt, you know, a little bit more consistently and, and a little bit better. Yeah. We, he could have, I mean, he could have won every event that he played in if he putted just a little bit better. Oh, just a little bit, just a little bit better. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, you're right. There, there's a natural attrition there for somebody who's finished in the top 12 in 15 events or whatever it was. Um, so, you know, I'm saying beyond that, I think I think we're going to see another level of attrition to where he's going to maybe struggle quite a bit because of um, because of how unique the golf swing is and how many moving parts he has. And and then you couple that with somebody who's not a very good short putter. I think you're going to see a pretty sharp decline for a little bit, but it sounds like he's a very, he's a very uh, consistent uh, player mentally, which I think that's what keeps him in, in the hunt. I think that's, that's probably his biggest attribute, um, you know, outside of, you know, you know, just, yeah, obviously with all the finishes, but I think that's what that's what has enabled him to play so well. Um, he hits it long. We all know that he's he's a good iron player, but I think he's just very consistent and meant in his mental approach. And and to your to your point, McLean, he just sticks with his guns. Like this is the way that I swing, and this is how I'm going to play. And that's allowed him to keep that level of consistency up and up and up and up every every week, even though he's missing. I don't know how he doesn't break his putter every week. If I missed, I played this past weekend. I played one event a year in the, the Virginia State Open when I can qualify. And I, if I'm missing that many putts, I made more putts than he he made, and I didn't make a lot. If I missed that many putts, I would. I feel like I would break break my putter at least twice twice a tournament. Like I don't know how he keep his keep his composure when he misses these six, five, six, seven footers over and over and over. Like it's got to be like. It's got to drive him absolutely bonkers. Well, part of what you were talking about, I think, goes to his coach, too. I mean, Randy Smith's an old-school coach. Yeah. Right? And he's kind of the – he's not going to have – he's going to have kind of that swing-your-swing mentality. Some of these old-school yeah. guys, they're just going to kind of tweak what you have. They're not going to rebuild. They're not going to get into any new fancy methods or approach. And I think he's kind of just instilled that in Scotty. Like, hey, this is your swing. We're going to tweak it. We're going to refine it. You're going to play your game and just go ahead. Don't worry about what the video says. Don't worry about what the commentators say, you know. And so he's kind of probably instilled yeah. some of that um, mentality. Which, which you, you, I think you can do that for a player. Uh, I don't know when Randy started working with Scotty. I mean. I think it's been a while. It's been a while, but not, I don't think, I don't think since he was a junior, like, like I'm mean, a young junior, like his swing was kind of already there. And it's like, Hey, you're a good player. You're an established player. Let's continue to kind of build on what you do. But if a, if a kid comes to you with that swing as a 15 year old and they've got no pedigree, you're like, okay, we're going to make some changes here. Um, yeah. Just because you, it, it, the proof is in putting. There's so many players that, that have, that have, you know, fall in line. And I don't like to say every swing needs to look, look the same, but there's a reason that they all start looking the same is because there, there's definitely a, uh, a kind of a, a gray area or a bubble uh, of, of swings that that's more consistent. You know, you're not going to teach a guy to have his right foot slide behind his left foot and hit the ball because most kids can't do that. 
you know, they're not athletic enough. I mean, he's a great athlete. So, um, but no, with Randy Smith, he's a great coach. Obviously he's coached a, a bunch of players. And I think he probably was at that point and similar to like Butch Harmon, they, he takes these great players. They're already established players. Hey, what are you doing? Well, um, what do you do? Well, I know you're a great player. You've won this tournament, this tournament, this tournament, let's take, um, your strengths and and build on them. And then let's kind of fix your weaknesses just a little bit. And that's, that's, that's a, you know, that's a unique quality for, for any, any instructor. Not everybody can do that. Some, some instructors can only see the negative and they want to fix it. Um, but for somebody like Butch Harmon, Randy Smith, and they kind of look at these players and like, Hey, you're really good at this, this, and this let's take that. Let's build on it. And let's correct some of these weaknesses a little bit. And then it gets your confidence up and you're up and running. So I just looked yeah. up. He's he's been with Randy Smith since he was eight years old. Yeah, that's a long that's, time. That is a long time. That's incredible long that time. he allowed that that to happen. Good for him. All right, so let's let's get into one more topic here. What coming back from the uh, the the Open and also the State Open, coming back from the Open Championship. What uh, what were your thoughts on Royal Liverpool Hoy Lake? I think it left a lot to be desired. I mean, I think it's a good track. I think the bunkers are the most interesting part of the um, of the facility itself. The bunkers are maintained incredibly. I like to see the roll-ins to the bunkers. I, I question whether the severity of certain lies that you can get are good. It's fun from a viewership standpoint. I mean, you can watch a guy on fire and he hits a shot that's really not that bad, and it can roll back and catch a uh, catch a collection area that basically puts it into the absolute corner of a bunker, and the guy can't get out. I, I it's fun to watch. I'm not sure if it's great for the game. I'm not sure if it's great for you know taking the momentum away from a player like that. I mean, don't get me wrong. I know it's a hazard, and you need to you need to 100 avoid those that's what tiger did when he won there um you can, you can also to your point you can also hit a, a lot of really great shots that you catch a really just a bad break around the green and it hits and kicks one way into a bunker and it's like oh man it's one thing to have it kick into a bunker in the u.s or into the rough you know like okay i got a chance to at least give myself a putt you know at par you hit it in some of these greenside bunkers in fairway bunkers and you're pitching out backwards. And if sometimes you can't even, you can't even get out of the bunker one shot. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly right. Um, So I, you know, I, I kind of agree with you. I think it's, it. I think the penalty doesn't match the crime in a sense. Like you can hit a really good shot. It's one thing you hit a bad shot. I get that you should be penalized, but you can hit a really good shot, catch a, kind of a funky break around the green and then make a double or triple. And you're like, ah, did I, I didn't really hit that bad of a shot to make a triple or a double. Um, so I don't know. I kind of agree with you there when, when it comes to the bunkers and, and the severity of the bunkers. And don't get me wrong. I think it's cool. I think that there needs to be some opportunity. And I don't, I, I, I don't have the science behind this 100%, but for a ball to just trickle over an edge and then stay in that edge with a three to four foot wall, potentially inches away from the golf ball. I, I, I don't know if that is 
how it should be or is the best portray of the event like i i get it they only see it so many times a year so from our standpoint it's kind of cool and it's kind of unique from a viewership saying oh wow this is they've got these stack sod pot bunkers which is cool but you saw it every week it, as a player it, you'd be like screw this this is, is it let's fair this. is it i mean it, it, it if we saw it every week jay you make a great point if you saw it every week on the pga tour they would be up in arms yeah uh, the only so with the sponsors do. the sponsors don't want to see the best players make triples uh when they've hit good shots they don't want to see that yeah well um, even just a marginal marginal shot you know that no. that's how you end up there you know a good shot most likely is going to end up where they want it to but I, I don't know i think the severity is a bit much in terms of what you're being penalized versus the shot that you hit in certain situations 100 percent, i understand you need to avoid hazards i get that but there were certain times where you see guys and they're just, they're stuck. I mean, you could have a guy play 30, 35 great holes and hits a marginal approach shot. And all of a sudden he makes a 10 and misses the cut. And you're just sitting there going in, in a matter of, in a matter of less than 10 minutes. And yeah. you're sitting there, how did that happen? What yeah. I, I didn't hit a shot that was that bad. I, I just, I, I wonder if the severity of the penalty matches the crime exactly what you said jay you know yeah. does the um does the sentence match the crime and i'm I, I question that to a degree i loved it but you guys probably aren't shocked that i'm saying that i i thought it was awesome i thought the golf course played great i mean if it wasn't for brian Harmon, it would have been a hell of a finish there was a ton of guys bouncing around at, at six seven eight you know Five, six, seven, eight. Uh, like Jay, like you said, kind of towards the beginning of the show, the the British Open's about volatility. Mm-hmm. You know, links links golf is about volatility. And yeah, and there's sometimes there's some unfair bounces on links golf, but I think that's what makes it fun and interesting. Once or twice a year, is you can make a lot of birdies in links golf. You can also make a lot of doubles and triples. And and I thought it was interesting, fascinating. You guys know my stance. Anyone who knows me knows my stance on bunkers. Don't hit it in there. Um, and bring back the hazard nature of bunkers. We, we've over manicured bunkers in the United States where guys are trying to hit it in there because it's too easy to get out and put them on the greens. We just did it at the foundry. And the members who listen to this know that, you know, I was kind of against that whole project. But so I like it. Do, do again, do I think that we need to see that every week? No. Um, but I thought the golf course played great. I thought the the placement of their bunkers were awesome. I think that's why a guy like Brian Harmon can win is because some of those bunkers were right in the places of these landing zones. And and I think part of it, like Lynn's Golf, is you play these golf courses and you're like, why is that bunker there? Like it seems like an odd spot. And then the wind shifts and you're like, oh, now, I know, changes. now yeah. I know why that bunker's there. They just seem like they're just scattered around, you know, where in America we have them in the landing zone and at the green and that's it. But in, yeah. in Lynn's Golf, they're all over the place. Bunker, uh, you're, it's not an automatic up and down. Um, it's like okay, if, if the bunkers aren't so perfectly manicured, so you get a kind of a rough lie in a bunker in America, you, you hit a pretty good shot, and maybe you give yourself a ten footer and you miss the putt and you make a bogey. But in this in this 
situation. You can end up like like McLean said, he used the word marginal. And I would say sometimes even a pretty good shot, uh, given the given the 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 conditions and if the the wind changes a little bit, um, you can in a pretty good shot, and then all of a sudden your ball, like McLean said, just just car- caroms off of of a, of a mound and and rolls off the side of the green and into a greenside bunker and just trickles over the edge, and you're you've got a four foot or five foot uh, sodded face bunker, and you can't even hit the ball forward, backwards, sideways. I don't think the penalty matches, you know, and sure. I, I, and I do and they think corrected that- themselves. They, they, after Thursday, there was a bunch of high numbers and issues. And so they changed yeah. how they were, they redistributed the sand Friday morning and how they were raking it. So the balls were feeding a little bit further away from those faces. Just enough. Just enough and, to where and, you can. And, and Jay and I are coming from this, from a player perspective, more so than a, a viewer perspective. I, I, I won't lie. Like I said uh, earlier in the podcast, the most interesting part was when guys were stuck in the bunkers and you had to see how they would manufacture a shot to get out of there. I, I, I won't say that I did not enjoy seeing how creative certain guys could be and how they would try to yeah. attack the situation. But from a player perspective, it felt that, especially on Thursday, guys were getting put into some unplayable situations with shots that shouldn't necessarily have dictated that sort of predicament. Yeah, I, I'm I'm fine with with kind of that take of at least let the ball roll a little bit so the guy has a swing. Still, yeah. I still want it to be hard and a challenge for the guy. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Um, yeah, you know, like as far as other parts of the golf course, I thought 17, the little par three, played great. I know a couple of players, a couple of players complained about it. There were a few big numbers. You know, Fitzpatrick, um, Matt Fitzpatrick. Uh, I can't remember if that was Saturday or Sunday. He made a big number. Uh, I think it was Saturday. Uh, Fleetwood made a big number on Sunday. Other than that, I thought it was pretty benign. I actually thought there was going to be a little bit more fireworks on that hole. I know the wind was down a little bit for than what's expected in a British Open. But I thought 17 played great. I know, Jay, I know you didn't like the internal OB on 18. Uh, I loved it. I thought it was cool. No. Uh, yeah. I, 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 I don't like it. I mean, I mean, Rory, uh, not sorry, Rory, Ricky, uh, was it on Friday or I think it was Friday. He made a made a seven or an eight. I think he made an eight. Yeah, he hit two. Um, and I mean, granted, he didn't hit a great shot. He 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 kind of blew two balls to the right. But again, there's grandstands around the green. Why would there be out of bounds inside of that? I just it just seems kind of silly to me. I well, mean, it's, like again, the the penalty didn't didn't fit. Like if the, if it were hazard and he hit it up there, okay, you're you're able to take a drop somewhere near there and, and get up and down. But now he's got to you know rehit from the same spot. It just seems unnecessary in my opinion. Now again, I feel like internal out of bounds. If you're trying to keep the safety uh, from from one player, you know, trying to you know hit it, hit the ball into another fairway to get a better angle, that's understandable. But there. The, the, there was there was an out of bounds, and then there were grandstands like ten feet outside of that. Like, why why do you need that? Like, and and there was and there was rough. It was tall fescue. Like, it wasn't like you're hitting it into a like an easy you know manicured fairway on the other side of the out of bounds. Um, so it was, it was still going to be penal. So why 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 do that? Um, I don't know. My, my opinion. I mean, granted, they have the right to do whatever they want. I just didn't. It didn't make sense to me. Well, Seems- so they just kept the golf course as is. I mean, that out of bounds has been there for 
130 years. The Out of Bounds was initially put on that golf course way back in the day because there was a racetrack there, a horse mm-hmm. racing track there. And sure. then now that is for the members that there's actually that that's their practice facility that's there. And you see that a lot of golf courses, there's out of bounds right along a, a driving range. And so that's how sure. they have it. And they just, you know, the RNA is steeped in history. These golf courses are steeped in history. So they just kept the golf course as is. Sure. Find it any other day. And I, yeah. I, I just liked it's, it that it was it, just it, it, that history or not, it's still just stupid. It doesn't make any sense. I don't know. Like we on see the enough property. There's no reason that there should be out of bounds there, especially if you've got spectators walking up and down the right side of the fairway. Um, it'd be one thing. Again, the reason you have out of bounds there is because if there is a driving range or there is something else, you have that there. So people don't hit it over there and hit another person. But if you've got grandstands there, then why do you need that out of bounds? You know, you've got tall fescue still. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I get why they they're trying to hold true to the, to this heritage of having this out of bounds there. But um, in a, there's a lot of changes that are made for, to a golf course to account for uh, tournament golf and bringing in a tournament. And they make a lot of changes to sure. uh, adopt, adopt to having a professional event there. Um, so they could have easily said, you know what? Hey, we've got grandstands here. We've got tall fescue. There's no reason to have this out of bounds here. Um and I think it was still it was still very penal to miss it, right? Because you were going to be in the in the tall fescue or in the in the grandstands having to take a drop. They could have, if you hit it that far out of play, right in the grandstands, and you could have given them which which the RNA does a lot. Here, here's your drop zone in the tall fescue. Uh, take well, that's that. what I like about the RNA because in America these guys are hitting it in the grandstands on purpose. That's a benefit they're getting for the sure, tournament. Is yeah. Those grandstands wouldn't be there in regular play. And mm-hmm. these guys blowing it into these things, knowing they're going to get a great relief situation. Yeah. And the RNA puts their drop zones, you know, the, in the PJ tour and most of the American associations don't put drop zones for grandstands. They just yeah. take, take it where the ball enters and, and give the relief situation from there where the RNA, I think they said they had like eight or nine drop zones around the 18th green for that grandstand. And they're all in the rough, unmanicured. Yeah. Like, hey, dude, you hit a bad, sh- you hit a bad shot to hit it in the grandstand. You're not getting a good lie here. Um, so again, like I, I think, like I said before, I think British Open golf was a little quirky. So I was okay with it. I think too many par fives these days are gimme birdies and no thought. They just hammer two shots up by the green and see what they can make in today's day and age. And so making these guys having to hit. Make two good golf swings. You want to keep that? Make you're a fucking professional golfer. Make two damn good golf swings on this hole. Like simple. I have to think about it a yeah. little bit versus just wailing away on a 600 yard hole like they typically do. Yeah, I mean, think how American pros will just hit it into the grandstand. That could kill somebody. Yeah, yeah, but they'll <laughs> do it. <laughs> yeah, they don't care because it's it's better for their paycheck, but. To, to, uh, like kind of piggybacking off of that, Mikey, I do, I do like a, a short par five that's got a really tough pin that you think, okay, I've got a long iron or maybe 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 a hybrid or something into, and I know I can carry you know I carry the front edge or get to the green, but the pin is in such a tough spot that if you do get it up there, you really don't have you don't you have nothing. Um, I, I love that. Um, because it's not like if you do hit a great shot, 
uh, with, with your great second shot in there and you don't get the bounce you wanted or you've got a bad lie, you, you can still make a par. You, you may not get away with a birdie, but if you miss hit a little bit, of, you miss hit a shot, you know, in one way or the other, you're not all of a sudden out of bounds to where you, I, I got to re-tee here. I didn't hit that ball that far out, out of play and now I've got to re-tee. But I do love... I do love the the short par five with a really tough pin and a lot of maybe some bunkering, maybe some mounding, you know, whatever it is, maybe, uh, you know, some some large slopes on the green where you think you can hit a great shot, a second shot in and you think you've got a great opportunity to make a get up and down for a birdie. But when you get up to the ball, you're like, hey, I missed this pin 10 feet to the left and I've got no shot. Nothing. I I do think that's cool. I just like making making the players think a little bit more. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I like, think hey, are, again, for they're just like, okay, the guy's going to make a birdie. Oh, he had a bad hole. He made a par. Like, I don't yeah. know. Let's make it a little challenging. And, and again, yeah. I thought I thought the final stretch was going to be more inter- interesting because I thought it was going to be closer than a six-shot lead for the leader yeah. coming down. But there could have been a lot of volatility with 17-18 uh, yeah. that just, you know, there was, there was no drama there. And, and on top of that, 18 was what, 6.05? Yeah. I, that too makes a difference. It's like six or five out of bounds down the right. It's like, it, uh, I mean, I saw Rory like two of the three or, or two, two or three of the four days he laid up. Um, so it was a little downwind, typically the, the prevailing wind. Uh, yeah. It's, but yeah, but, but to your point, six or five is still, you better hit two really, really good shots. Um, let alone having out of bounds, you know, down the right side and all the bunkering around the around the pen. So it's almost like this is so difficult, you know, that I might have me just hit my ball down the left side, let me lay up and try to hit a wedge in and take my chances of making a par and the worst case a a boat a par. Okay, worst case a par. Um so anyways, I thought I thought the golf post course played well. It was interesting. Yeah. Just one guy just ran away with it. It made it mm-hmm. less interesting. It made everything less interesting. So, um, you know, going back to Brian Harmon real fast to put a, put a cap on it. It was, you know, I I wasn't say I was I was rooting for a collapse. I was rooting for a little more drama. But then, like through like six holes on Sunday, I was like, just at that point, I was like, okay, one, I don't want to watch this guy gag it now because that would be yeah. awful. And two, yeah. it was just like, man, this guy is. I was enjoying it from a standpoint of like. Damn, this guy is just balling out. Like, this is impressive. You know, little man, no family there. No one's rooting for him. They're talking about he got booed on the first tee and a little heckling, which yeah. pisses me so off. He's the, 38 years old and it's only won twice on the PJ Tour. And here he is. Yeah. And it, yeah, I don't know how many British Opens he's played in, at least a, a half a dozen. He's, he's And he's missed a bunch of cuts, though, too, in the British. Yeah. So it was just a cool, cool story. I kind of, kind of leaned into that towards the end when I, Realize, okay, this is not going to be interesting. <laughs> so let's, I like let's appreciate, appreciate for what this is and who he is. And yeah. Yeah. I, I like the dude. He's pretty, he's pretty laid back. I mean, he's very true to himself. Like he is not going to, and again, I, I didn't play it, when I was, I played a little bit with him before he got on tour and he was exactly the way he is in his press conferences and exactly the way that he is when anyone, anyone, anyone interviews him, he is just, that's Brian Harmon. Hey, I'm, yeah, I'm from Georgia. I like to hunt. I like to shoot guns. Um, you know, that, that's me. 
Yeah, like get on my tractor. Let me go to the let me go to the barn. Let me see what's going on. Those blokes that, over there were were fascinated by his um his hunting stories and his tractor yeah. and all that kind of stuff. He's just very true to himself and he's not trying to be anybody that he's not trying to be anybody he's not. And and I think a lot of people, especially I don't know about over there, but a lot of people in America appreciate that and probably he probably gained a bunch of fans. Um, you know, being in the spotlight, you know, he's one of those guys that you you've seen him in the mix quite a bit. He's always around. He's played a bunch. I mean, what did, what was the stat? Most top tens uh, since 2017, and we, I would have thought that was Tony Finau, but you know, or maybe Justin Thomas, or maybe top 25s. I don't know if he's talking about top 25s, but you know, I would have thought that would have been somebody else. But here it is. This guy's just, and he doesn't win that often, but he always plays well. You know, yeah. and here he is well, finally he, winning, his, finally winning open. His game's very attractive to what European golf lends itself toward. So yeah. I think he did garner ball control. I, I think they respect the way that he, you know, meticulous, meticulously went about his day and, and kind of carved that golf course out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, there's a lot to be said about what he did. Ultimately, that's why he hoisted the trophy. But, you know, we can't take anything away from anything that he did because he obviously dominated the event, got it done, and he got it done. And it's one of the things that I think makes the sport that we love so unique. He's 5'7 or 5'8, 140 pounds. Uh, there were a bunch of big hitters in the field. Yeah. Did you, did you see him next to that AM walking out? That was 6'8. They yeah. get one low AM honors. I was like, holy hell. Yeah. The shortest guy in the field, the tallest guy in the field. Was Brian Harmon the shortest guy in the field? Oh, I don't know. They're actually, I think one of those, one of those Japanese guys, what's his name? Is like five three. I forget, uh, I forget his name, but he definitely, definitely one of the shorter guys. Yeah. That's what makes this game so amazing. That's what lends itself to show that you don't have to be. I mean, it's the reason I stopped playing basketball. Tell you that right now, I had no shot. I had, uh, I had to be a tall to play basketball. I had a great I had a, shot. Yeah, I had a good cost. Well, no, I had a good, I had a good shot, but it was getting blocked by the six eight defender in front. Of <laughs> uh, you know, let me take open threes all day, and you know, maybe maybe I could have made it. Uh, and I had had great mid range dribbles. I mean, it was it was I was dialed. Um, however, you know. Physically speaking, I cannot dominate in that sport. Brian Harmon just showed that he can dominate even at his size and stature. And Uncertainly. that's one of the coolest things about this game that we love. And I think ultimately, you know, it goes to show that if I'm not mistaken, that amateur, he's one. Of, he was one of the longest players in the field, too. I mean, he smoked the golf ball. I want to say he was plus 190 ball speeds. Um, he didn't beat Brian Harmon at 168 ball speed. And it just nice. showed. And me and you are like buddies, 168 ball speed. Let's <laughs> go. Jay, he is five inches shorter than you. <laughs> I should be hitting it harder, but I'm not. <laughs> so at the, at the, when the dust settles, Caught yourself. <laughs> when, when the, the cookie crumbles, crumbles, when the cookie crumbles, you know, I, I think that's where this distance debate gets skewed when we watch guys like John Rahm and Rory. Uh, win and become these these incredible players in our sport. 
but it gets overshadowed to the fact that both of those guys were in the field and they got beat by someone hitting it 20 yards shorter than they do. Because if you're on the right golf course, if you don't go play consistently these bomb and gouge type facilities, I agree. It brings back the character to the sport and it shows that distance is not the number one thing that matters. Short game, putting, approach to the green. Control of your ball. Control of the golf ball is the number one most important thing. And it doesn't matter if it's off the tee, from the fairway, on the greens, around the greens. Control of your golf ball, Jay. You said it absolutely perfectly. That is the absolute most important thing. Yeah. Yeah. To be continued. I'm not getting into this right now, but to be continued. (laughs) Uh, let's see. We'll see. We'll see. Let's. Well, and here, let's here's, here's, oh, hold on, real quick before we go there. I can't help it, Mikey. I'm sorry. <laughs> the guy that just won the British Open. What does the rollback do for him? I'm not getting into this because it's not just about him. It's it's way deeper than this. But it but... needs to be about him. It needs to be about him. He's he's 26 in the world, as you already mentioned. Okay. Um, and he's a, a major champion in the sport. Okay. What does this do for him? Nothing. It's the same. Well, right into our picks we go. I don't know. What, what do you think it, what do you think it does to him? Does it offer him a benefit? No, it offers none of him a benefit. So why would we do it? Because it's not about that. I'm not getting into this right you now. You just said it didn't benefit. Oh, it's not getting just into it. Right I'm not getting into this right now because this is going to be a, a one-hour debate. And just said it didn't benefit anyone. So that's why I'm having a hard time why we would ever do it. Jay, any thoughts? I, if, we I mean, did, I, if we just did anything to benefit the players, McLean, it's so much more nuanced than you, you think. But if we just did everything to benefit the players, let's just make – a hundred yard wide fairways, flat greens, and that benefits the players. Let's just make it as easy as fucking possible. Like it's not just about right. benefiting the players to me. It's about style of game, style of golf courses, where this game is going. Why didn't I, I, mean, I, I, I to, to that point? I do think that that this is a this this golf course not very long. What was the total length of this golf course? I know you guys know it was seventy three fifty. Seventy three fifty, which is consistent with everything that we've. We we see a day in and day out, and maybe even a little shorter. But again, seventy three fifty is not a short golf course. I mean, no. out there because it no. runs as far as it does, it plays a lot shorter than a normal golf course does. But you throw up seventy four hundred yards at someone, they're wanting to take a couple tees up. Sure, but even even if you say you go to America. Uh, a little softer golf course for the most part at seventy one fifty, seventy two fifty, and you throw these, you know, these bunkers, the bunkering in play, the pot bunkers, uh, you know, the, the unique green shapes, uh, the mounding around the greens and mounding in the fairways, man, narrow the fairways up a little bit with some fescue, not crazy thick rough like where it's bomb and gouge, but enough to where it's going to change the the shape of the flight and the dynamic of the flight, you know, I don't think you need to, I don't think you need to add a bunch of, uh, or take, you know, roll the ball back to where we decrease how, how fast the ball comes off the, the face. So 
again, I know, Mike. You guys, you guys can keep going. This is not a this is not a topic that you want to talk about right now. Right now, just not. can we get get Mike to pull a J and sign off? I'm just. I will say, if you want, I'm not getting into it. I will say, like I know that we want to save this for another, another, another pod, but it it is relevant to the 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 Open Championship and the fact that these guys play a golf course that plays short. But still, we have a, a a guy that wins that doesn't hit it very far. I mean, it's it's seventy three fifty, but it plays shorter, and he's the guy that ends up ends up winning. Um, I don't know. It's it's just kind of a unique thought. Something to something to think about. Something to take away. How can we make this game better? And and do we can we can we make a can we make a compromise here, you know, and not have to roll the ball back and find a way to kind of tweak some of the courses that are there and that we play a lot that, that we play for majors that we play for some of the bigger events. Can we somehow tweak these and make some small altercations to them to make them relevant, to keep, uh, you know, these, these courses that have history, keep them in the mix without having to, you know, push them to the side or do some drastic change like a ball rollback, which would be very drastic. We both uh, say we both, we all know that it would be very drastic if we did that. So, okay, I, I'm not doing this right now. I, I will say I'm, I've made some mental notes on this weekend. And I think Brian Harmon winning the Open Championship is the exact reason why we need a, a rollback, but I will uh, let that to be continued. But let's cover that next week in depth when we don't have a ton of golf to talk about coming off of the 3M. No, we're going to do it in August whenever the USGA and RNA formally announce the rule change. We will do it then. We're going to have this argument. We're going to yell and scream at each other. I might send my family to a hotel that night, or I'll go to a hotel and record that night. Although I'll probably get kicked out of the hotel. But we'll have this debate. We'll yell and scream at each other. One of us might sign off. And we're going to do this. And... Uh, I'm going to stand by my guns. I don't care if I'm in the minority on this. I, I have. I think it's a much more nuanced debate. And I also think the general public is debating the wrong thing, and they don't quite understand what the RNA and USGA are trying to do. With I wouldn't say that Jay and I are general public. Okay, that's fine. I'm just saying, in the grand scheme of this argument, it's very nuanced. I'm not getting into it right now. We'll have the shouting match. You guys can tell me I'm wrong. That's fine. It's the two of you against me. I'm used to that, other than the JT debate. Um, <laughs> so, um, who's going to make an appearance later on in this podcast? Let's let's, let's get, get JT on this podcast. Let's get to the 3M. Let's and JT it. is in the field. He has entered the field as he tries to make some FedEx Cup points. He's in the field this week. He's in the field of final regular season event next week at Wyndham to try to earn enough points to get into the playoffs. So, um, I won again. Back-to-back weeks for me. Loving this new press double-point situation here. This is fantastic. Win nothing. And I'm going to go through these real fast. I didn't do a whole bunch of research. What's the point total real quick? Where are we at? Uh, So, I I have two leaderboards going. So, I I mean, I think technically by the... By the rules, there's a, a a bet and then a press. So there's really two bets on the line if we're doing this the way golf would work, right? Okay. So I've I've kept I've kept the leaderboard as is, um, with the double points, and then I kept just a separate um, press leaderboard. So 
Uh, McLean's at a total of 120 for the season. I'm at 114 now. Jay's at 106. Oh, you made a you made a nice move there, Mikey. Well, I'm I'm 20 to four against McLean the last two weeks, and uh, Jay, you've been we've had the same order. Me first, Jay second, McLean third the last two weeks. So okay, that helps. Or last two last two uh, um, DraftKings. So we had we had a couple of weeks off there. So. All right, I'm going to go real fast. Uh, a lot of this is just kind of gut reaction based off of how some guys are playing a little bit stylistically on this golf course. TPC Twin Cities, I think, in Minneapolis. Uh, long golf course, so almost 7,500 yards, par 71. Pretty wide, generous. You know, Not a ton of trouble. A couple holes with water, but not a ton of trouble driving the golf ball. So uh, I got kind of a lot of mid-tier guys. No real dark dark horses and and none of the the higher uh, ranked players this week so i'll start at the bottom uh seventy five hundred dollars uh austin ekrote just like how he's been playing and and kind of rounding in the form as he's gotten his feet wet here as a uh as a rookie i've been picking this guy a lot this next one seventy six hundred ryan fox i think i've had him on like three of my the last three of my uh DraftKings squads um again just been playing solid hits the ball a long ways then I will go to my Clemson boy, Lucas Glover, has found a way to putt. He's now using what is he using counterbalance or arm lock? Anyways, he's changed up his putting. He's had some very high results here. He's had uh, three consecutive top six finishes. So I like him. Then I will go to uh, eighty seven hundred. I'm going to pick this guy to win. He hasn't been playing the best. He missed the cut on both weeks. Um, overseas but that's just you know you gotta kind of have some experience over on those golf courses uh but sahith the gala is going to get his first victory this week at eighty seven hundred dollars then i like adam hadwin at eighty nine hundred dollars having a solid year and then i go up to i think this golf course fits him perfect uh nine thousand dollars cam davis Hmm. okay yeah Good okay. job. McLean was nodding his head in disagreement for most of my picks, but I think he means I've I've picked half of his same squad. That is correct. <laughs> power rankings. No, I didn't look at the power rankings till after my team. Did you pick Chesson Hadley? Because he's on the power rankings. <laughs> so all right, not. Jay Burke. Yes, no. uh, yep, I'll do it. All right, I'll start at the, start at the bottom. Uh, seventy five hundred. Uh, Mister Tom Hoagie, um, played real well last week. Seventy two, seventy five. Missed the cut at the Open Championship. Finished eighty fifth. Um, so coming off a really good week. Um, no one commented on that. I was obviously being facetious, but I uh, did not play well last week. He missed the cut in the Open Championship, uh, but he did finish 19th at the, the Genesis uh, Scottish Open. So um, outside of that, not great, but I think uh, I think the price is right, and he's a great iron player. So here we go. We'll give him a shot. Everyone's telling me to pick him. Uh, uh, James Hahn played well, did play well last week at the uh, Barracuda. I did actually watch way more of the Barracuda championship than I should have. Uh, <laughs> I finished up the Virginia state open and I got some work done at the house and I was <laughs> just hanging out and the, 
the tournament ended late, like at eight or nine o'clock. And I just popped it on and watched like an hour and a half of the, the golf. And, and I watched James Hahn play some good golf. So, you know, like I said, it's 6,800 bucks. Uh, I'll give him a shot and see what, see all he does. Um, Lucas Glover. I know you guys have picked him, Mikey, uh, 8,200 bucks. Uh, again, I'll move up to Adam Hadwin, who's played well in this tournament in the past and overall pretty consistent. Didn't play well at the John Deere, uh, a couple of weeks ago, but overall playing some, some good golf second at the rocket mortgage. Um, and then I jump up to Steven Yeager again, a guy who makes a bunch of birdies. He's been playing some good golf. As of late, uh, I think he's made four or you know five or five of the last six cuts. Um, actually, maybe even more than that. I think he's made a bunch of cuts in a row. Um, in all honesty, so he can make birdies in bunches. Uh, made actually made twenty three of the last twenty six cuts. So again, I'm I'm banking on trying to get these guys, uh, as you guys all know, making as many cuts as possible. And then last but not least, I've got uh, Sepp Straka. Uh, the man, the myth, the legend coming off a of first place and a second place finish at the open championship, playing some good golf. Um, yeah. So hopefully he can ride that out. So there we go. One of the hottest players on tour right now. He's pretty hot right now. And we're going to try to see what he can do. Sep. All right. Austin Ekro, Ryan Fox. So hit the gala. <laughs> For the reasons that Mikey already mentioned, uh, I have Mr. Hideki Matsuyama, mm-hmm. uh, 10,000, my number one pick, guy who just consistently puts himself in contention. I have one of the best players on the planet who's going through a little bit of a lull right now, but looking for a comeback, Mr. Justin Thomas. Wow. No, I just threw up in my mouth a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and rounding out. Number 15 uh, in your power rankings, number one in your heart, Mr. Chesson Hadley. Oh, my God. You, you did take him. You power <laughs> ranking slut, you. You're yeah, such well, a power ranking slut. I, I used to play a bit of golf with Chesson. Um, <laughs> he's a good dude. Uh, Raleigh, North Carolina boy, Northridge Country Club. Uh, looking for Chesson to, uh, to finger snap. Finger snap all the way through the weekend. He's he's oh about Bojangles. You know, if we can fly him in. Uh, a couple of chicken biscuits in the morning. I think he'll be dialed. Those seasoned fries leave a lot, um, leave a lot on your palate, which only leads to birdies. And the freshly steeped iced tea. You know, if you can go with some some freshly steeped sweet tea, North Carolina boy. Uh, I, I see him climbing the leaderboard. So I'm going to work. Someone please tell him to stop snapping, though. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> has their thing. You got to you got to yeah. yeah run what you got his thing. Run what you yeah. run. Yes. I mean, that was cool like 10 years ago, maybe longer than that here. 15 hey, years ago. He's got over $11 million in PJ Tour earnings. True. It's a little bit more than I've made. Now he can afford to pay an advisor to tell him to stop doing that. <laughs> stop That's doing awful. that. I, I don't awful. think I can do it. I like, can't I, do it. I, I heard, it, actually. I used to it, so I can definitely do it. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, I am. I am looking forward to the three M. Excited, I you are. I don't think you are. I will say I'm excited. Um, it's going to be yeah. awesome. And Jay and I are heading out of town for a couple of days, Saturday, Sunday. So I can't imagine we're going to see a ton of it. Do you think at the three M that they put the leaderboard up with three M tape? Like, is that a requirement, or do they still use staples? <laughs> I don't know. 
asking for a friend. I don't think they actually have a, a like a scoreboard leaderboard like paper anymore. It's Gonzo. Yeah, it's all it's all three M tape. They tape it all to a yeah. board. Has to be. Have to be. <laughs> yeah, medical grade scotch. Yep. Yeah. 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 All right, gents. That was fun. I'm gonna write a dissertation to get ready for this rollback debate in a few weeks. Can't you're, wait. You're I cannot wait. wait. You're gonna let's win go. an argument. <laughs> let's so, let let's poll Justin Thomas and see what he wants to do. We know what he wants to do. He doesn't want to. I know it. that's the one thing we have in common. Me and Justin Thomas don't roll it back, baby. No rollback. Just makes no sense. Um, <laughs> it makes plenty of sense if you think about it in the right way. But it's okay. It's okay. I'll educate. I'll educate you later. The right way or your way? The correct way. <laughs> uh, all good. right, gents. To all of our listeners, as always. Thank you for tuning in. We appreciate the downloads. Um, if you guys need a, a hat or a couple hats or a t-shirt or uh, a golf, golf towel koozies, um, check out our Instagram page. Our shop's on there, and you can support us by uh, rocking our logo uh, around town, wherever you live, and get a couple dollars uh, for us that we can tell our wives that we're not so far in debt on this podcast. So that'd be great. <laughs> Which we are. Which we are. <laughs> <laughs> We love it. But we love it. You know, I love arguing with these idiots every week. It's just amazing. I pay for this shit. That's it. That's it. I love it. <laughs> All right, gents. Cheers. Cheers.